Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello. Listen to the sound of silence because my kids are back at school. This is very exciting. Um, Yep, we've managed to start off the new term. Thank goodness. Uh, It was really making me a bit tense, actually. I think it's quite hard, isn't it, when you've got... Like, every time you get to start a new school stage, I had one starting secondary, for example. And it just brought back all the memories of starting secondary. And the thing is, when they say, oh, I'm a bit nervous about it and I don't know where I'm supposed to be going and I haven't made any friends yet, it's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. And you remember it, don't you? Oof, that feeling. Do you remember that feeling of being at school and thinking, I can't remember what room I'm supposed to be in or whereabouts is the, I don't know, the loo or whatever? Just, oh, it's so overwhelming. To be honest, even as an adult, I don't like going into new situations where I don't know anyone and I haven't worked out the building. It's like a confidence trick, isn't it? I'm not sure I've actually really got a handle on all that stuff even now. Like, walking into a room full of people I don't know. Oh, my goodness. No, thanks. Try and actively avoid that kind of stuff. Although, actually, I did have a moment yesterday of, um, I think, the absolute benefit that you get when you reach middle age because I am 44 now and you gain this sort of authority with younger people and when I say younger I mean it's probably a guy in like his late 20s and I just spoke to him in a way that I would never have done when I was younger so this is what happened I was with my mum we were going on the tube we go down the escalator and um, as we get to the top of the escalator, there's a lady there with a toddler in her arms and an empty buggy by her side. And she was clearly waiting to see if somebody would help her take the buggy downstairs. So I said, oh, I'll help you with the buggy. So I take the buggy on the escalator. And then when we get to the bottom, I'm going down, I don't know, the eastbound, no, westbound platform. Don't know why it was important. I get that right. I'm going down the westbound platform. She's going down the eastbound platform. So I could no longer assist her with carrying this buggy down the stairs unless I obviously like did a detour. But the guy was walking past at that very moment. And I said to him, excuse me, as you're going the same direction as this lady, can you take her buggy for her, please, and take it down the stairs for her? And he clearly didn't want to. But because I was a woman who was probably closer to his mum's age than his age he just was like damn it, I've got to take this buggy now because this woman this sort of teacher type woman 
I me, has told me to carry it down. <laughs> and I turned to my mum and I was like, I honestly think that was like one of the most middle-aged things I've done all week. And it felt flipping awesome. So that is one of the benefits of getting older, hands down, like just having absolutely that kind of no no cares given when it comes to talking to people younger than you and telling them some stranger to carry someone else's buggy down some stairs, even if they don't want to. Anyway, um, this week, yeah, so this week has mainly been about getting the kids settled in. I've sort of quietened my work stuff this week until I knew they were back at school, which is one of the benefits of doing a job like being a musician, because you can sculpt it around your home life sometimes. And actually, as we end the festival season, my weeks have been more like Monday to Thursday. I've been home and then Thursday through to sort of Saturday or Sunday, I've been doing gigs. And this week is no different. So I'm home this week and then I've got a show. So I'm speaking to you now. What day are we now? Wednesday. I'm speaking to you from the past. It's Wednesday. I've got a gig tomorrow night. Then I've got another gig on Friday and I'll travel back through the night on Friday and I'll get back on Saturday morning. And then I'm home all weekend with the kids. So that's quite nice. That's my first sort of Saturday night off for some time. Next weekend I've got another couple of shows. But Monday to Friday is kind of quiet. So, you know, it rolls, it rolls. And it's quite nice, actually. I quite like the steady nature of it. And... um, I'm actually sitting next to my bookshelves because I've got that thing, you know, when you get like a bit of a hum about actually sorting things out that you haven't sorted out for ages. So I've been clearing out books. I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to get rid of books. It feels like, it's like saying, oh, I don't want to eat any vegetables. It just feels fundamentally bad for you to eject books from your life. But that being said, some books are crap. And also some books I've read and I don't want them anymore. And other books I own and I've never read them and I probably never will. So... Oh, I've even got doubles of some things that I didn't realise. So yeah, I'll be doing a big clear out. I've got a massive pile of books for the charity shop. It feels good. I'm in the right frame of mind to just get on top of my life and try and organise things. Although I've been saying that for about 20 years now. So let's see how that pans out. You're thinking enough of this, enough of this. Who is the guest? So my guest this week, oh, what a woman. Helen Pankhurst. So Helen and I first met when we got together... She invited me to participate in International Women's Day uh, for Care International, the charity. And she asked me to sing some songs with very talented um, songwriter, producer, string arranger extraordinaire, David Arnold. And so we went to Trafalgar Square on this massive rally for Women's Day. And it was absolutely brilliant. And I sang some songs with him. Um, and that's how I met Helen. And then I did the same thing again the following year, and then this year they decided not to have... They weren't doing a rally, so instead we did a podcast together, actually, where we spoke to um, women around the world who've been in very, very challenging situations, but they have maybe grouped together to make things better in the situation that they're in. So it was people from uh, everywhere around the world represented, and what was amazing was that no matter what situation these women were in and what they were dealing with whether they were in a a country like um ukraine where obviously they find themselves at war or there was someone else in india who's helping to sort out local issues that have come about because of climate crisis and flooding but they all had this absolute when she when it came to the end of the chat and helen and i would say have you got any messages you want to send out they'd always say something really positive like to other women out there just stay strong and keep doing what you're doing and you're doing a great job they never said oh i just want to say this has been awful and (laughs) i wish this had never happened to me it was just pure positivity and uplift and support and it was really amazing actually to see how that came out of everybody with these situations and how incredibly strong they could be Anyway, then after that, sorry, I am getting to the point, I promise. I then invited Helen to come to my uh, third boy, Ray, to his class when he was in year six, so last year at primary school, to come and give a talk to the kids about the suffragettes and about the legacy of being a Pankhurst. So Helen is the granddaughter of Sylvia Pankhurst, the great-granddaughter of Emmeline. So... Very well-known figures. Obviously, Emmeline Pankhurst founded the Suffragettes. And what a incredible legacy. What an incredible... I mean, we still today acknowledge and um, what absolutely an awe and wonder of what those women did for other women in the United Kingdom when it came to getting the vote. And what frighteningly recent history that we didn't have the vote. 
But also, when she was talking with the kids, she made so many really sage points about the parallels between the activism of the suffragettes and how we now have come to realise, you know, right side of history, and then other activists now and how we don't necessarily treat activists now with the... I suppose with the possibility that they're on the right side of history sometimes, you know, when people are moaning about... I don't mean you, I mean maybe in the press, when there's moans and groans about uh, climate change activists and, you know, making it hard for people to get to work in the morning and gluing themselves to stuff. But really, I mean, if we're not worried about the climate, what else are we worried about? I'm not saying there's only one way to deal with stuff and I'm not saying what they've, what every individual who protests about it does is the right thing. But I'm just talking about basically... There's some parallels between chaining yourself to railings or walking in front of the king's horse and some of the activism we can see in contemporary times. And and also, I think, speaking to Helen made me think a lot about my relationship with, I don't know, I suppose with the, the way that society and culture is established and the choices I've made for myself that are unwittingly maybe playing into the way there's always been in tradition without really questioning a lot of it. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of these things and more, so have a listen, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in in what Helen has to say, and I really liked her approach to so much of it and how she's raised her kids in the middle of the work that she gets done. So anyway, enough from me. I'm going to continue doing my books while I listen, and I'll see you in a bit. It's really nice to see you, Helen. How are you? Very well, thanks, and likewise, really good to catch up again. Excellent. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really happy you um are happy to come and chat to me for the pods because I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. Why don't we start with what you're up to at the moment? What's going on in your world? Juggling, um, spinning, mm-hmm. um, lots of different things. Um, one of the initiatives I'm involved in is in Manchester, and um, we're fundraising for a post for that. So been working on that. The deadline is today. So okay, <laughs> that's um, one thing. And then all of the other um, pieces of work that I'm doing with CARE, there's some things happening there with Centene Reaction, which is the other coalition. Okay. Um, lots of different things. So if we go a bit deeper into those things, so the thing in Manchester, this is in Greater Manchester, isn't it? Yeah. So recently, I think it was last Sunday, I'm slightly losing track of time, but it was. No, it was last Saturday. We had an event in Oldham. And we have these community events for women and girls in different boroughs of Manchester. And we go to different ones in turn. So it was a town of Oldham, which actually is where Annie Kenny, one of the leading suffragettes, a mill girl suffragette, um, came from. So I went to visit the statue to uh, pay my respects there. And then we had this event for women and girls today in Greater Manchester, focusing on those in Oldham, talking about their experiences, really. Mm-hmm. But they, it was done in a really lovely way. So, for example, we started with netball and networking, which we thought was a lovely kind of way of getting people to spend time together, playing net, adult women, playing netball, yeah. which is many of them, almost all of them said, oh, I used to love netball. Yeah, at school, girl. yeah. Um, but it was a nice way of getting to know each other a bit informally before the beginning, the start of the workshop. Yeah, that's really cool. And um, what made you pick netball? Is that something that was already existing? Um, we in had somebody from Netball England that came to um, provide some support on that. We also had one of the sessions on cycling, mm-hmm. because if you think about cycling, there's a big gender gap. Um, and if you think about ability to maintain the bicycles, there's an even greater gender gap with this sense that uh, women and girls are not encouraged to or learn to or think about learning how to maintain their bikes. So that results in a drop-off. Girls might start um, bicycling, but then if they feel that they don't know what to do as soon as something goes wrong, they're less likely to continue to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've done a bit on rugby, we've done a bit on football. So we, we take different sports to hear the experiences of women and girls in that sport. Well, I think that's all so relevant because I remember when we met before, you were talking to me about how there's been a really big drive on getting young girls interested in football, but then there's a massive drop-off when they get to secondary because it's just not sustained. Exactly. So you don't want to seem like, well, we've done that, we've introduced them, now go and find it yourself if you want to make the next step. Like That's not really how it works, is it? Exactly. And addressing the set of barriers that happens in a changing world where some opportunities are created but then there are reasons why that opportunity doesn't become a sustained opportunity. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's interesting. I suppose that thing about the cycling, I bet as an example, that covers how so many things work. And, you know, so much of your work is about parity and just trying to make sure that there's equal opportunity and sustained equality as well, not just bits where it's great and then it all kind of goes wonky again. Yeah. And so with Care International, your focus is on women around the world. Is that right? Yeah, so Care International, very much that's the case. I personally work primarily in Ethiopia, which is where I grew up, so I have that detailed knowledge and we're working on a couple of projects, and I've come back recently from Ethiopia, actually, so uh, following up on a couple of those projects um, was what I was doing both when I was in Ethiopia and now with some of the documents that um, follow through from that. And one of them is on menstrual hygiene and working in schools uh, in one particular region of Ethiopia because the facilities are really, really awful. I mean, if you think about going to school where you don't have anywhere safe, clean... um, uh, decent, no no running water. I mean, that's a given, but nowhere where you can change your menstrual pads if you need to or uh, even just go to the toilet. And that's a reality in many schools still around the world. So this was one project where we're both improving the school water and sanitation, but also talking about menstrual hygiene and the importance of discussing that because otherwise what happens is the girls, A, are very scared and they don't really know what to do and there's a whole social taboo about it. But then B, that tends to mean girls don't come to school when they have their menstrual cycle. Therefore, there's lower attainment and there's a whole thing around um, access to schooling as a consequence and they tend to be married off. So there's this tradition that the assumption culturally is if you have started your menses, then you're of marriageable age. So the poor facilities linked to the social taboos end up meaning girls don't go to school. Wow. from school. It's extraordinary, isn't it, the concentric circles of how these things, and I guess things that we just so take for granted in a first world country about just having a some, somewhere safe, we've yeah. got access to running water. Um, and what was it like growing up in Ethiopia? Because I know that's been very central to... Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's a really interesting country. And of course, I mean, I don't have a comparator. That's where I grew up. So for Mm. me, that's... um, That's the only place you ever knew. (laughs) But um, it was an interesting place. I suppose I grew up with the two identities, therefore, knowing that I was British. I used to come here during the summer. Um, But we had this very, very strong connection, still do, with Ethiopia and Ethiopians and all things Ethiopia. My father studied and taught um, Ethiopian history. My grandmother had campaigned for Ethiopian rights at the time of the invasion of um, Ethiopia by Mussolini. So a whole long history linked to it. So it was a lovely, interesting place to grow up. And, and it was one that had better weather than this country does, that's for sure. <laughs> she says, looking out of the window where yeah, there's sorry, that kind of really drizzle. Dismal. Yeah, <laughs> and in here as well, I like the way that you see on this window here, that big round mark is where one of my kids has really neatly tried to uh, break a window with uh, football. Football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, isn't it? Um, I suppose, yeah, and, and as you say, you've got no comparison, but then I suppose when you had your own children, they weren't raised in Ethiopia, were they? They weren't, but we used to go back um, regularly. So every year um, from when they were very young, a few months old, um, they used to go to Ethiopia and they've spent a few years there. So they have a connection, much weaker, but they do have a connection with the country. And my son can, finished his schooling there as well. He oh, did right. his IB there. So I know both your children are adult now, but what was going on in your life when they were born? What were you working on at that time? Um, initially, it's still in international development, um, but with a different organisation. I've worked with a number of different organisations. Gradually, the gender element of it, the women's rights element of it, has become more and more central um, because I've seen that it needs to be more and more central because mm. the world isn't just addressing those issues. And I guess because I've got a voice and... Um, under, kind of deep levels of understanding of the issues so they become more and more important. I think the other change has been that um, in my early adult life uh, working, I worked only internationally um, and now I do both. I'm really interested in the local to the global when it comes to feminism. I think that there's an importance in looking at all of those issues um, for many reasons, including environmental ones. We're, we're interconnected and if we don't understand that, we we all suffer. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in some regards that's quite a sort of humanist way to look at the world. It's like we've got this one life experience. We're all sharing this world together. How can we link arms and actually 
raise raise ourselves up together. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose with your work, you've got quite a literal thing with working with you know young girls in the UK and their experience of young you know womanhood, and then going to yeah. places like Ethiopia and thinking more globally. Um, which must tackle, as you say, loads of issues in some countries that are in very different situations to where we find ourselves here. But it must have been quite a strange juxtaposition in your childhood, I suppose, your relationship with Ethiopia to see this disparity between you know the gender divide there, but also know that your family history played such a big part in trying to dispel that equality. But you know, some a couple of generations before you were here, yeah. So it must be quite a weird. Yeah, that's that's Parallel. interesting. I think, in some ways, when I was younger, the two were separate. There was the suffragettes, the feminism in the UK, and then there was my existence in Ethiopia and that interest in the country. And then gradually, I think I've felt that um, putting those two together becomes very interesting because... Um, I mean, for, for a number of reasons. I mean, Sylvia herself, my grandmother, went from becoming being a suffragette to becoming in, interested in Ethiopia's history and um, the campaign for its independent rights. So there is that link there. But in my own work, um, understanding and it being interested in development, international development and the feminism there, but also bringing to it that perspective of what happened here and that long history mm. um, I think has been important you know there is you touched on it a bit there are differences when you when you think about feminism in the different countries around the world um, there are definitely particular campaigns that apply in one country not the other mm -hmm. but I think the similarities are so strong yeah. that you can go to any part in the world any place in the world and talk to a set of young girls or middle-aged women or older women and say, you know, what, what, what keeps you awake at night? Or what are your concerns? And, and the similarities will be massive. They'll be so much greater. Degrees, clearly, that are different. But um, the issues that they'll bring up, I think, are very similar. Yeah, and actually, you've made me think as well. There was a woman I spoke to not that long ago called Julia Hart. And Julia had um, been raised and was married within a very a sort of ultra um, fundamentalist branch of Judaism where there was lots of restrictions on her freedom and she said when she was 42 she managed to sort of escape that world and it almost became like born at that age you know suddenly was part of like the modern world as it were but she said she f was really shocked to see how many of the same issues were actually going yeah. on and people just weren't really as aware of it almost yeah. and I think um because some of the big headline stuff is kind of quite covered, we don't see that when you talk about the bike. I yeah. think that's a really yeah. beautiful analogy for yeah. something very simple that just keeps everybody in their lanes yeah. without you even noticing it's happening. And it probably starts from, yeah. well, you know, the time that you give birth yeah. or something. Yeah. But for you, how sort of foretold did that sort of path of activism feel? Or do you even remember making a decision that that was going to be how you lived? Um... The, the feminism bit came gradually. The interest in international issues um, was there because of where I was born. And I, when I started to think about what to study, it was very clearly that I wanted to do international development. And so that, I think, was stronger. And then it was because you can't address issues of marginalisation and poverty without bringing a, lens, a gender lens mm -hmm. that the gender bit came in with it. Right. Um, I think that's because I grew up in Ethiopia where nobody really knew about that suffragette heritage. I think if I was born here, that surname would have been so dominant in my thinking that I probably would have been quicker to realise that I had a, a role to play in talking about um, women's rights. So maybe in some ways it sheltered me and, and it meant that I could grow up my own way, the mm -hmm. fact that it wasn't so dominant and, yeah. and, and I had to explore what it meant. So it'd be things like people saying to me, oh, you know, are you, when I came here, when I came to the UK, they would say, oh, that surname, that, are you related? And I'd say yes. And then they'd say, oh, that's really interesting because of this, that and the other. You know, my daughter um, studied this at school or whatever. And mm. then because of their interest, I would have to find out more and more and more about the suffragettes. So it, 
I think it's other people's interests that generated my mine and the complexity of the issues, the complexity of that campaign yeah. over 100 years ago has meant that I've had to continue thinking about it and um, be able to talk about it. Yeah. So I suppose the, the big benefit, but also what must be quite, um, I don't know, frustrating sometimes. You obviously were brought up with quite a global way of thinking. You know, if you already know that you're this family that have emigrated somewhere, you're seeing things, you're sometimes coming back to the UK, you think in a way that yeah. I think a lot of other people, it doesn't really occur to people to think, because you, you, know, you start off with your four walls and then yeah. your country, and it's such a defining thing, but thinking globally isn't necessarily like hugely encouraged a lot of the time, actually, because you're so sort of bogged down in the minutiae of your own world and what you can achieve within that. I, I think that's right, but the linkages are there, they are everywhere for mm. anybody. I mean, walk down any street in the UK now and how many nationalities will you have represented there? Go to any shop, how many um, dishes from around the world, how many products from around the world, how mm. many raw materials. Um, think a bit about any aspect of your life, politics, um, technology, anything. We are so interconnected and again, without mentioning the obvious one of the environment. So, I think we can ignore the rest of the world and um, just dabble in our own spaces. But I think increasingly that's difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and we need to understand the wider context. We absolutely need to because that's the only way of really being able to make a difference and connect things up. Um, and if we don't, I think... The, the, the myopia of not opening it up, uh, opening ourselves up to the wider world, I think is really is is very great. But again, I I I think there is a generational thing around some of this. I think younger people are much more um, aware of the wider world. There's a lot of travelling going on, especially now post COVID. There was a bit of that kind of isolation that came because of forced isolation because of COVID. But I think we've opened up in many ways. So I. I, f I feel that most people have, if you really ask them, if you ask them how many connections they have, how many families they have abroad, how many uh, friends they have abroad, including through social media, etc., I think we're much more interconnected than we yeah. ever have been. Yeah, that probably is true. And I think also the, the, the one of the positives about social media is an encouragement to sort of find the threads that connect us you know yeah. it can be oh this you know whatever the hashtag might be whatever the experience is yeah. you know you, you know you're kind of always trying to sort of see the bits of like I think you'll probably relate to this you know yeah, yeah. so that's a positive aspect I know that um it wasn't that long ago you very kindly came in and spoke to my yeah. um so my 11 year old Ray his year six class because they've been studying the suffragettes when um and I, we were working together for International Women's Day and doing a podcast for Care International and um it was actually really nice for me because I sat in on the classes, you know, and I sat on my little, one of their little seats, <laughs> the little plastic seats. And uh, obviously kids just asked all manner of questions. Some of the questions were brilliant. They were fab. Um, but I was really, I remember there was one question, I think, and one of the little boys said, you know, did you ever wish you didn't have the surname or something like this? And you were like, well, actually, yes, sometimes it has been, you know, it has been, it's come with it, it comes with something with it. And I was thinking, because we do think sometimes about legacy, but usually it's a legacy of what we're doing and what we might leave. You know, it's quite unusual to spend m many thoughts on your, you know, grandparents, great-grandparents. I mean, how, how did you sort of first become aware of what the significance was of being a Pankhurst? It was through the questions, like from kids, like uh, in your uh, son's school. And by the way, one of the things I loved about that session was just how open they were to ask questions, all mm. sorts of questions. And the point about how interconnected people were came through very clearly there, because yeah. I think I asked how many of you, I asked people to put their hands up if they had a relative who um, came from other countries and the number of hands that went up. And I forget what the follow-up was, but people were oh, yeah. from all over the world. No, I remember that. You went around the class and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've got amazing. different countries. Didn't yeah, we, so yeah. good. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's probably unusual for somebody my age to spend the amount of time that I do thinking about my grandmother and my great grandmother. Definitely. Um, although I would encourage people to do just that because the stories of the generations past and really understanding that can be so interesting. Oh, so, so interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, and the other thing. I suppose, is 
and maybe this is also um, common to many families, is the schisms, the differences of opinions, you know, when you start looking at the family members then. So my great-grandmother and my grandmother ended up with a massive falling out. So I have to think about not just the personal aspect of that, but the political aspect of why they fell out and mm. what that meant and what I think about that and so on. Because that is quite a big deal, isn't it, to it fall is. out like it that? Is. So you're not speaking and... Yeah, no, yeah. it was a massive, massive... Yeah. Ma- and a public one. They didn't just do it quietly because they were <laughs> public figures. It was, it was splashed on all the newspapers and so on. And was the starting point of that because... Sylvia and Sylvia had had your dad out of wedlock, or was that That not? was the kind of the last straw. <laughs> um, they, it was initially on policies and things like that. Right. Um, in summary, uh, Sylvia became more and more left-wing, mm-hmm. having the whole family having started off as being involved in the Independent Labour Party, so pretty left-wing, mm-hmm. and her father, Richard Pankhurst, having um, stood as a ILP, Independent Labour Party member. Um, but so Sylvia left-wing, more and more left-wing, um, Christabel, her older sister, and Emmeline, her mother, more and more Mm -hmm. right-wing, so became um, Tory um, members and and wanted to be a candidate. Uh, Emmeline stood uh, as a Conservative candidate. Um, They also disagreed on tactics with um, Christabel and Emmeline thinking that more and more militant tactics were needed. That was really what was needed to shift things. Sylvia being very concerned about some of that, in Mm. particular when the militant actions were against things like art, Sylvia having been an artist and not liking the idea that you would destroy bits of art, but also feeling that it should be more about a mass campaign. Mm. Um, They disagreed on things like whether to associate yourself with a particular party or to say party neutral, whether to get involved in the campaign for men to get the vote as well, bearing in mind that many working men didn't have the right to vote there as well. So there were many reasons for the um, disagreements. And I suppose one of the things I've wanted to do over time and I, in some of the campaigns that I'm involved in is to try and bring those two different opinions together in saying that, yeah, you can disagree, but as family members, it would be really lovely (laughs) to try and bring you together. And I try and do as much cross-party initiatives as I can for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, in the contemporary world, we're very encouraged to be quite binary in in the way we put our thoughts and feelings out. And I do despair at how many topics get discussed in a very binary fashion where you're supposed to just say I think this is right and then sort of throw stones at the people who oppose you rather than actually a forum where you might possibly be able to have a conversation because things are mostly more much more nuanced they are nuanced they're complicated you can't just give a one word answer to anything and if you do that's problematic it doesn't help yeah but it's it's something that um Feels a lot, and I guess if you've got a family dinner, I'm picturing like their last couple of Christmas dinners and things like that. Probably, like, <laughs> so many, you know, don't mention the war moments, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. points. <laughs> yeah, they disagreed about the war. <laughs> Add that one to the list. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But yeah, it's, it's interesting, I suppose, because um, the there's, it's funny you say about the, the, you know, the, how you... Um, campaign and the militancy because I suppose we're seeing that now aren't we with um, climate uh, campaigners and I remember again this wisdom coming out of this conversation at my son's uh, school because you were saying you know disruptive behavior to call call attention to causes people get radicalized over time especially when they're not being heard the the action has to be more extreme in order to say no I'm still here I'm not going anywhere and I still feel about you know this is you're going to have to you can't ignore us forever kind of thing and I suppose what's happening with the, you know, stop oil protesters and the climate change is that these people are, where, where do you, how do you view them if you can't see the parallels and everybody now hails all the suffragettes as doing brilliant things. Yeah. But history has to tell part of their story. Yeah. But at the time they didn't have that benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And the parallels are fascinating. Mm. I mean, as I've you thought about say, that ever since you said it, I was like, my gosh, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Because they're romanticised now, the suffragettes yeah. are. Most people wouldn't say anything negative about them and I felt this a lot with my surname that I very rarely get comments now I used to but very rarely get comments that are in any way disparaging or uh, critical of what they did by and large Mm. it's really positive and people who are campaigning for change now um, just stop oil and others who use similar tactics it's much more uh, critical response from many people, yeah. even those who believe in the end goal, but feel that the militant tactics, the uh, disruptive tactics, are problematic. Mm-hmm. And uh, my view is it's complicated. Um, you know that um, there, you have to look at uh, how the state, how the government is responding to these issues. So mm-hmm. it's not just looking at the agency of the disruptors. You need to look at the activity or lack of activity by the government yeah just like the reasons the suffragettes increased their militancy was because of the way the state was treating them so yeah. as a simple example they only started this the throwing of um stones because they were physically abused in large meetings when they went out to protest in person mm. And I think you often see the ratcheting up of any particular position if there's no discussion, if there's no action. Mm. Um, So I understand the reason why some people are going down militancy. And um, I think I do think that down the line in 100 years time, they will be looked at with a much more rose tinted um, glass that will be saying, you know, they were absolutely right with fewer people saying, yes, but X wasn't able to get to the hospital on time because of yeah. some of their disruptive tactics. Yeah, no, I think it's a really um, it's, it's a really smart point because I think there's a lot of it as well is sort of um, like media rhetoric, isn't it, in a way to encourage you to feel things because, I mean, it all goes back, I suppose, to that, you know, an inconvenient truth, you know, yeah. where, where we're all headed is... Yeah. It'd be nicer to just sort of block it out, really, yeah. and just like, oh, can't I just keep doing the thing I'm doing, please? Uh, but it's not really quite, quite going to work out like that. Um, when you, I know that you and I both, when we got married, we both kept our, our surnames as we were. Yeah. Um, I'm, I didn't change my name to Jones. I'm always Ellis Baxter. But I, I really think I missed a trick in giving one of my kids my surname. I didn't, I've actually, as far as I'm aware, I'm the only Ellis Baxter that there, I've never met anyone else yeah. with my surname. But I really liked how you handled it with your children because you've sort of done a cross pollination, haven't yes. you, with your surnames? <laughs> yeah. So um, we, uh, decided that we, we'd have one surname for one child and the other surname for the other, and then use as a middle name the other surname. So that way, both surnames would go down in history, type of thing. They'd both be assu- assuming both kids had children, and they also wanted to retain the name. But the interesting thing for me was that uh, it, my daughter had my surname; she was the firstborn, and then my son had my husband's um, surname. 
and he had the Pankhurst as a middle name, but he now actually uses Pankhurst as well. He double barrels it because he's is really proud of that surname and he doesn't want it to get lost as a middle name. So, yeah. That's lovely. Did he always have that relationship with that name, do you think? No, he grew into it. And um, I think as a young child, he was always always very proud of the surname and uh, of the surname as my surname, as, as you know, yeah. and the family heritage. Um, and when we had, uh, I was always, you know, campaigning and doing things. When he was really young, I used to take him with me. And I have memories of him as a, a little one on, you know, um, Hyde Park Corner and places like that as we were doing things. Um, and then when he was older, he would say to my daughter, myself, please go, you know, have a lovely time. You know, I'm there in spirit, but I'm not going to come with you. Um, and then gradually he's, I think, found his voice and um, is now much more comfortable to talk about feminism and to own that surname. So I'm, I'm glad that he's come to that point. Um, and it was it was him. It wasn't me. I was quite happy with him not having the surname. It, it, but um I think surnames are important for everybody and I and this way that most women and girls still just assume that they'll change their name or that their kids won't have their name and the fact that no men ever, you know, I'm exaggerating obviously, but men very rarely think about changing their surname or think about their partners having the surname for their children. It, it's still so prevalent. It's yeah. it's ridiculous really. Yeah, there's there's aspects of the life I lead that shocked me with the how traditional they are and it's not because I've made a decision that's what I want necessarily just because I've sort of slept walking to certain yeah. things I think because I don't well there's a lot going on isn't there there's a lot to question and a lot of life to carve out for yourself and I did wonder so if you were you know bringing your kids along when they were small and how did you I suppose if you're being open to injustice and wanting to make life better how do you sort of introduce your kids into that world and making them care about things without making them feel that there's a lot, there's yeah. a heavy thing to carry, you know? Yeah, that, that is a massive question and uh, people think about it a lot in terms of the environment, don't they? And mm. uh, um, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, um, except that what it makes me think about is that my personal motto is fun and purpose. And I came to that because of a sense that I wanted to do things that were useful in life. I, I believe that individuals can make a difference and uh, you, in whatever form you can, through your work, through your activism on the side, through voting, whatever, you can engage in the world. But I also think that just purpose, just that kind of um, selfless, driven, make a difference is dangerous and in contrast to have fun and joy and uh, positivity and um, you know enjoy your food and culture and all of those things are so important as well so the balance I think is really useful of trying to make a difference but still enjoy life because we've only got one stab at that bit of it as well and maybe that's the answer that um, just thinking about the woes of the world doesn't help anybody whereas trying to do a bit but also leading a decent fun life you know with your family around you all of that's incredibly important as well so yeah maybe the balance is the answer I love that fun and purpose that gives you the sort of permission to do both yeah. actually yeah because I think you're right if you just do Oh, I have to introduce you to the fact that the world's pretty there's a lot of dark yeah. corners there's a lot of people living really difficult lives it's it's so I think that children are going to learn for themselves. We all grow, we all start to, you know, see a film, read a book, see a news article, anything that lets you into, a, 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 you know, that landscape of like, oh, wow, if I'd been born there, yeah. everything would be different. And sometimes when we're travelling with the kids, I'll say, look at that house over there. What do you think it would be like if that's where we lived? Imagine if there's a kid that, this is where they grow up. Like just to sort of try and introduce them to the idea of all these different lives being led all the time. But at the same time, yeah, you want them to be engaged but being allowed to have fun while you're doing it yeah. means that you're actually also not wasting this incredible opportunity. And I suppose for you, you've always had the, you've got the, the family is like the nucleus, isn't it? So you kind of, and we know that that's already a really special thing. Yeah. So then you can actually be kind of empowered. Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, I love that fun and pur fun with purpose <laughs> and fun and purpose. I yeah. think that's a really beautiful way to put it. And what did your kids end up going into? What are their jobs? Um... My son, my son um, 
studied business um, and he is uh, working as a uh, consultant to, he's just changed to a new firm actually, but he did a lot with NHS trust, uh, um, business analysis and financial planning, that kind of thing. Um, and now it's wider than that. It's with a, a company that also um, looks at asylum-related issues. Um, so he's got a bit of that purpose in there, but... Oh my goodness, he knows how fun. to have fun okay, as good. well. He Just really, <laughs> really knows how to have fun. Um, a bit too much, actually. So he, um, good, I'm not uh, need to worry about Caused him, problems to his ACL, his knee a little while for oh, a really? football um, oh, yes. injury. So no, he knows how to um, have fun. He loves cooking and is a um, great cook. Um, <laughs> Oh, and that's then good. my daughter, she so he's he's good at the balance. He's probably more at the fun than the purpose bit, but he's <laughs> got a balance. My no daughter, judgment here. <laughs> no judgment here. My daughter's slightly more work driven um, in ways where maybe there's too much purpose and not enough fun. But she would challenge that. I think in the past maybe she was. Um, she studied law and she um, is also in the civil service. Um, but is also very interested in counselling. So she's studying um, counselling. Um, and um, but yeah, I think she's also aware of uh, not being too um, purpose driven and um, looking to buy a house at the moment. So that's a big okay, thing. Cool, yes. um, but it's impossible given the mortgage oh, rates that are causing trouble at the moment. So, I yeah. know. Yeah, it's a tricky time. Um, and what about for you? If you're always, you know, keeping engaged with. I mean, when we spoke um, for the podcast we did for Care International, we were speaking to these women who were you know, all in very different parts of the world, but all experiencing um, lots of challenges, some of them due to changes in climate, some due to um, conflict, you know, in the area where they live. Um, how do you, what's your way of sort of uh, recalibrating when you've been very open and obviously you have to be open to, you know, being incredibly empathetic when you're taking on board these, these stories and how to help people and be active, but what's your way of... I think it's by finding joy in the work itself and in the people. I mean, those those women, they were just... You see, you're smiling. I am, They yeah. were just amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I think that when you have that human interaction with people and, um, you know, listen to them, engage, even if you can't do anything, yeah. just listening, just empathising is already a massive thing in the world. Yeah. So, and then if you can try and do... Uh, if you can elevate what they're experiencing if you can support and with care international there is a lot of um, direct work that is um, to try and address the issues then that helps as well yeah. so i think just remembering the people behind and uh, the laughter that you have when you're working with people yeah uh, that makes a big difference yeah and actually the reason i started smiling when you said about um you know incredible as women was because i remembered at the end of each interview we had with people we said, have you got a message? And all of them, yeah. you know, without you know, anyone you know, not deterring from this, they all gave a really generous yeah. kind of, um, you know, you can do it, women of the world are amazing, yeah. you women, you know, you're strong, you're incredible, you're, you're doing the best you can. Like, it was all generous and yeah. all outward looking. No one said, oh, you know, thank you for giving me this time. It was all about women out there, yeah. we, we're doing it, you keep, you keep strong, stick it out. It was incredible. They it were really so generous. Was. Yeah, and lovely words of positivity, mm. wasn't it? So people in crisis, yeah. kind of taking that on, doing what they can, but then looking beyond it and looking yeah. wider, as you said. Um, yeah, really lovely. And people do do that. They often do that. I think, in, you know, we've, we've seen that. The worst of times often brings out the best in people as well, doesn't it? This is true. And so with your kids when they were small, um, do you sort of remember trying to be quite in, active in getting them to engage in things or did you just sort of introduce them to things and then let them feel their way? I think a bit of both. I'm smiling now because I came back from South Africa once with a um, uh, a doll and it was of Mandela. It was a uh, cotton um, doll. And I had no idea, but apparently the kids were quite scared of this because it, it was quite a big doll and um, they just didn't quite understand why I had this big doll that was being given to them as a, as a toy. And I think now and again I... Um, or introduced language or issues uh, or perspectives that they really didn't understand. But, you know, we learn as we do things. And, you know, if, it, if some approach didn't work, then I'd try another. I think, you know, fundamentally, if they 
are open to the world, which is what you can do by introducing different ideas, then hopefully you're okay at the end of the day, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose I'm asking come from a slightly selfish perspective because <laughs> you always hope your children grow up to be decent people. I think that's kind of the end game, isn't it, really? You want... Some of it, I feel, comes from them as they are. That you know, some some people are just naturally, if they see someone that's struggling, they'll stop what they're doing and help. But I think with other people, you need to sort of encourage to see a different perspective. <laughs> so I suppose, yeah, trying to yeah. raise people in that way. Yeah, and maybe kind of being reflective about how you operate and how they operate is also interesting. You know, these um, assessments like the business assessments, the Meyer Briggs test that tell you whether you're mainly a somebody who uses their heart or uses their brain or whether you're an introvert or extrovert. I think all of those ways of reflecting how you engage with people and then thinking, well, maybe that other person that's sitting next to me actually operates in a very different way and therefore how do I relate to that person? And Mm. I think all of that can be really useful as well, even to young kids, because if one child is particularly... uh, um, impetuous in the way that they operate, explaining that to the child and saying, you know, but but this other child is operating in a different way and is very reflective and not so impetuous. Are there advantages and disadvantages of, uh, of how you approach these things? And could you maybe think twice before you <laughs> answer something and wait till that other person can speak as well? In other words, I think there are tools with which you can use to encourage a different perspective maybe yeah I suppose that goes back to what you're saying before about listening to people and just actually being very present when people are talking to you about things and then trying to imagine that their circumstances are different to your own and we yeah. all we all have these different nuances that we you know how we were raised what we what the family around us our friends everything opportunities you have yeah and there's not just one way of living life as well no you know, even in terms of your activism so say as a feminist I often feel that sports people are some of the best feminists around both the men who are allies you know there's some amazing male allies who are addressing issues of sexism who are addressing issues of race-based um uh, uh, you know inequalities and stuff and then um the um sports uh, women that we have who are I mean, it's fe- feminism in action, really, isn't it? It's yeah. in their in their physical being and in the things that they do. They are making massive changes. So that's a completely different way of making a difference to the yeah. world from the thoughtful intellectual writing a book saying this is wrong or from the academic looking at the numbers or from that person who very quickly has a quick, funny repartee to somebody who's saying something sexist. There are many, many different ways in which I think we can try and make a difference as long as we engage with the world rather than just ignore things out there. Yeah, and I suppose also, as you say, like engage, but also keep keep quite um, alert to stuff yeah. as well, I think. Trying to maybe spot the nuances. And I already think language has come on so much from when I was young about how, you know, the grey areas of what just didn't used to make me feel safe or okay. And now we're much better articulating yeah. where the boundaries are there. But just continue being alert and I I also I don't know what you think about this but I think um the importance of of if something upsets you or if something makes you angry like actually keeping hold of the anger is okay if you want to change something yeah I think we're quite encouraged to sometimes um find ways to be at peace with all our emotions but actually if something's making you angry I feel like that can be quite a useful emotion sometimes yeah and maybe and there's some people that don't know how to do anger in fact my daughter would say I don't really know how to do anger (laughs) um and exploring all of those questions are really important so it might be that certain certain people find that more difficult than Mm. always appeasing and it might be others who are always angry when there might be a time when actually a slightly different approach might be better I was also thinking as you were speaking um remembering um so Emmeline's youngest daughter was called Adela and she went to Australia and I am in touch with her granddaughter and her granddaughter said to me that once when she was walking uh, holding the hand of her grandmother and the grandmother said to her can you pick up that piece of rubbish and Susan this uh, granddaughter looked at her grandmother and said well why me picking up that piece of litter isn't going to make a difference to all the litter that's around and uh, the grandmother said to her it won't change 
all the litter, but it will change your relationship to the issue of litter. Because by just picking that up, you are making an active choice that you're going to see the litter and you're going to do something, to even, even something small. And I think that is a really useful lesson. We might not change the world, but by engaging, by being alert, by being thoughtful to individual problems as well as those global ones, then maybe we can make a bit of a difference. And if not to others, to our own relationship to the world. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And it's a good example to set. And I'm picturing her now being like, oh, my granny's got an answer for everything. Fine, I'll pick up someone else's rubbish. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, have you met other people that you feel have had a similar experience to you as in having a family history that has pass something onto them in the same with the same significance um the person that comes to mind at the moment is a relative of dickens uh lucinda hawksley who's written um a lot and i think that surname that link to dickens is very much part of her identity um yeah because i think it's funny when you said i'll oh, talk to your grandparents and you know you'll see that i we um, started recording this podcast in 2020 and my granny sadly died in 2019. I would have loved to have had um, Sybil Baxter on the podcast. I would love to have known what it was like raising a kid when she did and she didn't have the same opportunities as me when it came to working. Um, and the perception of being a working parent was very, very different yeah. then. I would love to have heard from her about that. I mean, how did you find it in your line of work? Did you always intend to keep working after you'd had children? Yeah. Yeah, there was never any doubt in my mm. mind that I was going to try and balance all of that. But I realise how hard it is, and especially now. I mean, without grandparents, I have no idea how people manage to balance work and um, home nowadays. It's just so, so hard. And it's not got any easier. You know, back to the issue that the world is not getting any easier. All of mm. these things are harder for the current generation of people doing that. Um, the sandwich generation is harder now than I think it was before. So maybe it's a question of expectations. You know, as you were saying, your mm. grandmother might not, certain generations might not have tried to do all of that. But I think it's a lot more than that. I think things are just not necessarily easier. Yeah, and I definitely think there's still, um, well, I suppose it's, it's possible to get a sort of fatigue with all the issues that are still not resolved that people have been talking about for a long time. And I know, um, you know, maternity, paternity rights with, you know, working people is ongoing it's still and it, it keeps getting sort of diminished because there's always something taking center stage but I know that that's yeah. it's been going on a long time there's lots of people keeping very active and keeping a little bit of pressure there which is yeah. all good um but the trouble is I suppose is that if people are resourceful and create their own solutions to a problem they're not getting any help with then people don't understand that they're still that dealing with there. the problem yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on ongoing yeah. I'm sure um you know, nothing's going to get fixed in overnight, but it's that thing of just, I suppose you have to keep believing the world is becoming a better place bit by bit by bit. I think you have to continue to do your bit, irrespective mm. of what's going on, maybe. Um, yeah. And you, you mentioned anger. You know, maybe anger is needed now and again um, to, to continue to fight for change because without that, then again you get silenced don't you you do you do so have you got anything you're like sort of hopes for the future or what you'd like to pass on to your kids as how they can continue this this nice line of um yeah being engaged and yeah it'll uh, be interesting to see how they uh, juggle how they spin the plates um there's there's so much going on but i'm hopeful that uh they will manage the balance between the, the fun and purpose and that they won't forget the purpose and there's a lot of power in that surname there's a lot of uh real positivity in the interest that the rest of the uk and the rest of the world have in it so i hope that they don't see it as a burden that they also um continue to to um hold it with uh, with joy and um and with purpose, yeah. Well, I think, you know, I mean, you said recently, you were, when you were older, you went to pay your respects. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that the, the, what the suffragettes achieved, it's still now as relevant as ever in terms of how people can change things, the strength of those women, and, and you know, the men that supported them too. 
just the significance of the history. And it's not that long ago. That's right. It's yeah. actually just not that long ago. Yeah. And it's still so relevant. It's so. still so relevant. By the way, it's Emily's birthday today. Is it? It is. Ah. So we can oh, raise my tea. Her. Raise yeah, my tea yeah, to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. What a nice uh, serendipity. Mm. Oh, happy birthday, Emmeline. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've got some uh, cheesecake in the fridge. We can have some if you <laughs> like. Them at the end. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> there are quite a few Emmeline's and Emmeline's that sometimes, Emily's and Emmeline's that I come across and people will come up to me. In fact, they did yesterday. Somebody came up to me and said, I'm named after. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. And I, what do you do if someone ever sort of takes great pleasure in saying they don't really vote? I used to have, oh, I, I've oh. probably told you this story. We had a lovely um, nanny for ages, Claire, who's basically like family to us now. I have to say, I did actually in the end manage to convince her that it was worth voting. But for a while, <laughs> she wouldn't vote. She had that kind of very um, cynical view. Nothing ever changes anyway. What's the point? And I said to her, women died to give you the vote. And she said, more fool them. Oh, dear. <laughs> It's literally one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It really cracked me up. I've never heard anything <laughs> More funny. <fun> <laughs> that's not that's not a view I uphold myself. I just it really cracked me up. Um, but yeah, I just worked on her for a while, and now she does vote. Oh, so good. yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, sorry about Claire with that one. <laughs> it was kind of amazing. But what do you do if people are talking about it? Do you? What, how do you? Um, Encourage people. Uh, um, different tactics depending <laughs> on the person, etc. But uh, the the analogy I draw is a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. Is that if you don't put your bit of the jigsaw puzzle, then you've got no control over what's going to look uh, what it's going to look like. Um, and even if the parties, even if you know that your interest, your party interest, is unlikely to be reflected again. By doing it, you you create a better, stronger democracy. So I think it's it's just really important that people do it. Yes. And the less powerful you are, the less you have a sense of the voice, the more important it is that you vote. Because otherwise, it's always your voice that's in the minority, your voice that's not included. So the more disenfranchised you feel, the more important it is for you to vote. And that's incredibly important at a time when there is this sense that fewer people are... Uh, registering to vote, there's uh, additional barriers to voting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredibly important that you do that. And without that, the whole infrastructure of society is weakened. Yeah. Um, I'm also interested in seeing whether we can change the voting age because I personally think that 16 to 18-year-olds should vote because their engagement in the world will increase, their sense that they have a say in the world will increase. And I think... It, the world needs to listen to them. You know, it's their yeah. future. They they should be able to vote. That's really and smart. And the link with schools then that can do more PSHE or equivalent to encourage reflection on that voting process, I think, will be really good. No, I love all of that. I mean, I think my three favourite things, you know, we've discussed, the jigsaw puzzle approach to thinking how yeah. you feel about being your place in it and wanting to, you know, make sure your piece yeah. of the puzzle's there. The litter analogy about, you know, if you do that, then your relationship with that is that I do something about it when I see it. And the fun with purpose, definitely. I think that's perfect. Oh, and the fact we get to have cake at the end of Thank you so much, Alan. It was absolutely lovely. Real pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> so much wisdom thank you Helen it's funny because obviously at the end of our chat I did the thing where I sort of summarised her the things the, the wisdom she'd, she'd come out with and she said after we finished recording oh really like the way you did the sort of summary at the end of what I'd said you know it's really good that you do that and I said actually I've never done that before for any of the other podcasts but it did feel good with her to have that maybe I should try and work on my technique a little bit more um, but yeah lovely to talk to Helen and I find I don't know. The older I get, the more I question my ability to speak up for things that I feel need doing. I still think it's something I need to work on. And I've I've said the same thing when I spoke to Rachel Riley. And, you know, I think um, obviously she spoke out about things she could see that didn't seem fair or right, even though it brought a lot of criticism online. And I sometimes wonder if... I am strong enough to speak out always, even if I worry about the consequences. But then I think we do live in a time when it's difficult to have, I don't know, 
nuanced conversation. And obviously as well, these things are really bespoke. You know, there are probably things I've put said and put my opinions out into the world about that other people would think, why are you talking about that? You know, we all have our... It's a sliding scale for everybody, isn't it? Those kind of things. Anyway, it's definitely food for thought. And uh, while I was listening, I've kept going with the books. I've actually done really well. I've got, you know, the big IKEA bags. I've got a whole one of those filled with books. So feeling pretty good about that. And it, the bookshelves look a lot better. They look a lot tidier. It's this long overdue. It's this long overdue. Anyway, I hope whatever's happening in your world is good. I've got yet another lovely, lovely guest for next week. And in the meantime, I hope everything's cool. I hope if you're in... Um, you know, United Kingdom, I hope you're enjoying this unexpected heat wave. Bloody hell, didn't see that coming. Uh, but it's been quite nice, actually. And people have said, oh, it's a shame that the nice weather comes when the kids go back to school. But actually, I think it's nice that the kids are going back in when it's sunny and warm. Because if everything had suddenly got cold and drizzly and dark when they start going back to school, it's not great. It's not a great way to introduce them back to a new term. I think as well, they come out of school a lot happy when they can go and play in the park for a little bit to love some steam. So I'm all for it. The hot weather can continue if it's okay by me. Anyway, I will speak to you next week. Uh, thank you to uh, Richard for editing, Claire for producing, LMA for artwork, Helen for chatting to me, and you for giving me your time. I'll see you soon. Love for love. Bye bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.